0: All right, everybody. Welcome on back to Baseball History 1. As always, I'm Patrick DeVault, joined with my colleague Matthew Carter. Hey. We know it's been a while since we've talked to you guys. I've moved a couple hours away from where we were both located at, so we've had some technical difficulties. We've tried to get something out for y'all, so we finally got the chance to get together, and we're going to get some backlog for y'all, so we'll have some content coming out here yeah, over the next couple months. Yeah. Um, so something we've been trying to record since the week after he passed away Um back in August, is uh, Ben Scully, the announcer for the Brooklyn and then um, L.A. Dodgers. Um, Started his career in 1950, moved with the club to Los Angeles in 58. And uh, most people consider him the greatest broadcaster in history, not just baseball, sports in general. Um, There's even Olympic moments he's covered, um, football moments he's covered. It seemed like a lot of the big iconic moments he was there. Kind of the way Jim Nance is with Stuff Now and a couple other guys. Um, Uh, Al Michaels. Al Michaels is another one I was thinking of. Couldn't think of his name. Um, Yeah, he, uh, 67 seasons behind the microphone for the Dodgers. Wild.
1: Patrick, can you imagine working at your job for 67 years?
0: No, absolutely not. I would... um, my body would give out, and my mental will to show up at work would also. Yeah. With the amount of, for lack of a better term, jackasses that are involved in the kind of business I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that man just really loved his job so
0: much. He didn't consider it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That silky smooth voice, man. He. When I, I used to bartend, and at nights, the bar would close down uh, during the week. Monday through Thursday, or Sunday through Thursday at uh, ten o'clock. Yeah, and um, the Dodgers game, you know, would come on at nine o five. So after I got everybody out, I was cleaning. I turned on the Dodgers broadcast and listened to Ben because I didn't have to watch the game. He was painting me a picture mm-hmm. with with words, man, in a way that nobody else could do. Yeah, it's
1: just, yeah. There's no nobody could spin a tale like Ben Scully and broadcast describe a baseball game than Ben Scully.
0: So I guess uh, let's start out with um, the early years of Vince Scully. He was born November 29th, 1927 in the Bronx. um, In the Washington Heights section of Manhattan. His father, also Vince, was a uh, silk salesman and his mother was a homemaker. He was of Irish descent, um... When he was four, his father passed away of pneumonia, and his mother-lady married an English merchant sailor by the name of Alan Reeve, who Scully says he considered his dad. We um, had a younger sister who died of brain cancer in 2002 at age 65. He, um, he went to Fordham Prep School in the Bronx. He worked as a beer, beer delivery man, which, hey,
1: this beer guys. There you go. You got something in common.
0: And um, he was a mailman. Um, he worked... Pushing garment racks and cleaning silver at the Pennsylvania Hotel in New York City. Um, but at the age of eight, when he saw the results of the second game of the nineteen thirty six World Series in a laundromat, and uh, he felt sim- sympathy for the badly beaten New York Giants, who lost eighteen to four to the Yankees, and that's kind of where his baseball fandom started. Which is kind of a strange way to fall in love with the game of baseball, but yeah, whatever it takes, man. Um. Since he lived near the polo grounds and he was a member of the New York Police Athletic League and Catholic Youth Organization, he was able to attend games for free and became a huge Giants fan. Isn't
2: that cool? Mm-hmm.
1: Who would have thought been Scully a Giants fan? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, before he went to college, Scully briefly served in the U.S. Navy for two years during World War II. And in his words, as I've Watched videos and talk about his time in in the service in his, of his service in the Navy. He said he didn't do much; didn't like go overseas. He just stayed, you know, oh, you know, he stayed stateside, which kind of reminded me of my grandfather when he was in the Air Force during the Korean War. He stayed stateside; he didn't go anywhere. So, but still, that doesn't mean he didn't serve. He served his country for two years in
0: the Navy. Right. You don't choose where you go; they send you where they need you. Right. You're a piece of equipment. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to be that way, and I know a bunch of, you know, I'm sure we both have friends that are military, and yeah, they're a piece of equipment.
1: Yeah. Cox and machine, I guess. Yep. Uh, but anyway, so after he served in the Navy, he began his career. He went to college at Fordham University and I believe it's also, I believe it's in the Bronx. It's in New York. It? Yeah. It's in New York City, which is also the alma mater of Baseball Hall of Famer Frankie
0: Frisch. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, I do know a little about Fordham because I follow Barstool Sports, and there's a guy there, KFC, that went to Fordham, um, and a handful of other talent that works for Barstool. They have a huge broadcast and uh, journalism department. Yeah, it's big in Fordham. It's one of the uh, one of their mainstays. Yeah,
1: and so he goes to Fordham and he starts his career as a student broadcaster and journalist, and he majored in English at Fordham, and he helped found their. FM radio station WFUV and was an assistant sports editor for volume 28 of the Ford and Ram in his senior year. But not only that, he also sang in a barbershop quartet. So the man makes sense. He's got a spooky silk voice. Why not? He could sing too. Yeah. Or he could
0: sing, excuse me. He could sing, yeah. Probably still could though, the day he died, man. The voice yeah. like that guy had.
1: Can you imagine like, him in a barbershop quartet? Oh, man. I, I, I can see it now. But anyway. He also played center field for the Fordham baseball team, and he wore the number 17. And um, he he called – so not only did he play for the baseball team, he called radio broadcasts for the baseball team, the football team, and the basketball team. And so he's uh, – he was very active in Fordham. You know, he wasn't like me, who just wasn't really in any uh, – clubs and stuff in my time at UNA, he actually did stuff. He was out there doing stuff, broadcasting things, doing something you love.
0: He found his niche at Fordham. That's the one thing I should have done more of when I was in college. Like I'm, Other than fraternity stuff, you know, it just... Yeah. But I also had baseball, so it was kind of...
1: You had baseball. The only thing I did at but UNA... But it's more
0: like, like student programs. Yeah. The, uh, the only I, thing I, thing I did at UNA World. was model United Nations. That actually sounds kind of interesting, though.
1: That was very interesting. I enjoyed it. It was my senior year at UNA.
0: Especially as turbulent as the world is now, you probably have a better understanding of how these interactions...
1: Yeah. Uh, How uh, How the world
0: really works. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that's a fun little tidbit about me. I was in the United Nations at UNA. But anyway, so he's active. He graduates from Fordham, and he's applying to like 150... Mm -hmm. He sent like 150 letters to various radio stations throughout the eastern, throughout the East Coast, mm-hmm. and he only see he only received one response from the CBS radio affiliate WTOP in Washington DC, which hired him as a fill-in. But here comes his big break, this Red is Wild, <laughs> Red Barber, who's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. He has a Frick Award. He won he he won the Frick Award, and he was broadcasting Do- Brooklyn Dodgers games. And at the time, he was also the sports director for CBS Radio Network. He recruited Vince Scully for the the network's college football coverage. And he impressed, Vince Scully impressed Red Barber. I believe it was November 12th of 1949. It was November 1949, Maryland versus Boston University football game at Fenway Park.
0: It's cold in Boston, November.
1: I've been to Boston, November. It's cold, maybe not snowing, but it's cold.
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're Alabama boys. I so ain't we kind of cold. Yeah, and so I don't know how you manage it in Syracuse, dude. But... <laughs> I I I tried. <laughs> so anyway, he Vince
1: Goldie broadcast this football game at Fenway Park, and he thought that the press box was going to be closed, but it wasn't. It was not an enclosed press box, and Scully left his hat, his coat, and gloves at the hotel. And he he called the whole game in the frigid cold without coat or gloves, and he didn't complain about him being cold himself being cold. He just did the game, and did it in the classic Ben Scully way. And Barbara Red Barber was really impressed with that, and he asked, you know, he he got, uh, you know he asked Vin Scully to do other stuff after that. He's just like, wow, this guy's great. And Vin Barber was, Vin uh, Barber, sorry, Red Barber was a, was a, was a big mentor to Scully. You know, and he would, um, you know, he, he followed Barber's advice of being an impartial announcer without blatant Homer connections. You know, and then, so 1950 rolls around and this is, Vinton's big break. He joins Red Barber and Connie Desmond in the Brooklyn
0: Dodgers radio and television booths. Mm-hmm. It was after Ernie Harwell, a uh, longtime Brooklyn announcer, left and worked with the New York football giants.
1: Yep. And then not only that, so the like New York
0: Gi- baseball giants.
1: Yeah. See. And, and this, is, this is the same Ernie Harwell that later broadcasted Detroit
0: Tigers games for over 40 years. You know, Ernie Harwell,
1: <laughs> who also has a Frick Award.
0: And then it worked out good for him because a few years later, um, Barber left to be the Yankees guy.
1: Yeah, he joined the Yankees. And so Ben Scully took over. He was the main main man for the Dodgers after that. But the thing is, going back to 1950, and I've I've mentioned this twice as Patrick and I tried to Skype and and you
0: know We tried everything under the sun, man. But right. <laughs>
1: 1950, as we've discussed. In our second and third episodes, or you know, our our two episodes about Connie Mack, that was Connie Mack's last year. 1950 was Vince Scully's first year. The Dodgers and A's played against each other in spring training. Vince Scully was there in spring training, so was Connie Mack. Connie Mack spent 67 years in baseball. Vince Scully spent 67 years in baseball. It was like Connie Mack just handed the
0: baton to Vince Scully in spring training and said, go do baseball for 67 years. <laughs> so it's <Sounds laughs> wild how many times Connie Mack comes up in these podcasts. Because right. Because I know he's, if not your favorite baseball pers- personality of all the time, he's top three has to be, you know, I would say if not even number one. And yeah. I know you really want to do that episode, but it seems like every other episode, if not every episode, if we're talking about something pre 1970, his name comes up.
1: Yeah. And we don't try to. We don't try to bring it is, He keeps just he coming up. keeps coming it's up. It's a name I knew
0: before doing this podcast. but I didn't know there was this many layers to the onion. You
1: know, it's kind of like Tony Russo keeps coming
0: up every now and then in the podcast.
1: But he just doesn't have as many Dude, layers. he refuses coming, to
0: die, man. man. That guy's baseball career is just.
1: I wonder what he thought about Papa Meredith throwing out the first pitch.
0: They're <laughs> probably like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Along with like... 90% of the people on the stands. Yeah. And <laughs> so again, the scene looked pretty empty. Half the people might have been there to see Papa. Right. Well, then the Sox
1: probably weren't do- – the Sox aren't doing well anyway.
0: Yeah. For those of you at home, uh, there's Ben Coates, our front man, is Papa Emeritus the fourth. And um, he threw out the first pitch at the White Sox game, what, Thursday, two days ago. Yeah. On recording this, it's the 24th recording, so it would be the 22nd when he threw out the first pitch. Yep.
1: Yeah. And when they made the announcement, I was shocked. I was like, wait, what?
0: Dude, they had a NASCAR earlier this year. Like, it's yeah. all it's wild. Blowing up,
1: but it was perfect because Ghost was in between. If they had an off day because they were in between Peoria and Green Bay, you know, in their concerts, and they're like, Hey, let's just stop in Chicago and throw out the first pitch. Let's do it.
0: I think it's safe to say we're the only baseball podcast that's ever mentioned the band Ghost.
1: I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> we we have culture,
0: <laughs> anyway. So, Vince Scully's doing these, you know, broken Dodgers games, yeah. In 1954, he became the um. The principal announcer working with um, Desmond until fifty six.
1: Um, a couple Baruch.
0: of Audrey Baruch, Al Helfer and um, a guy named Jerry Doggett. Kind of yeah. they're all kind of in and out and rotating cats, it looks like. And Al
1: Helfer won the twenty nineteen Frick Award when I was at the hall. So for the people at home, um, what is the Frick Award? That is the award it's like a lifetime achievement award for broadcasters. Ford Frick, even though he's in the Hall of Fame as an executive, he before that he was a broadcaster, as also as, as well as a journalist. And so they named the award after him for the Light Touch Award for best, broad, or like, you know, I guess inducted for broadcaster. And every, you know, you, you induct one broadcaster every year. So, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, this is the 50s. The Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers, were very good in the 50s. Right, they're part of that golden age of baseball in New York City with the Dodgers and Giants and Yankees doing good, and you know, Willie Mickey and the Duke and all these people. Jackie Robinson's on the team, Gil Hodges is on the team, or Campbell's on the team, Carl Erskine, all these guys. I mean, Vince Scully could not have picked a better team
0: to broadcast games for. Dude, there are people in New York that just quit doing baseball when they left. That's how big of a staple they were. Yeah. Like, um, Jacob Walsh, one of my buddies, I'm not sure if you know him. Jacob Walsh, Huntsville. yeah. Um, his granddad's from New York. And when they left, he's just like, screw baseball. I'm out. Yeah. And I'm like, it's wild to me. That is wild. But, um, the club moved in 1957. And until that time, the broadcasts were heard on WMGM radio, 1050 on your AM dial, mm-hmm. as well as, um, channel nine on W O R T V in New York. But beginning in the '58 season, he accompanied the Dodgers to their new location and quickly became very popular in Southern California. Yeah. Um, their first four seasons in L.A., inexperienced baseball fans didn't really understand how to follow it, man, because there weren't really West Coast teams at that point.
1: The Dodgers and Giants um, were the first major league teams in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And um, they played at the very large L.A. Coliseum, mm-hmm. and it became common for them to bring the transistor radios. To hear Scully and Jerry Doggett describe the action, um, even after they moved to a much smaller Dodger Stadium in 62. So like this man like educated a generation of fans about the game that knew very little about it. I'm sure they I'm sure it was played out there in like little league levels right, and stuff. Yeah, you know, they had
1: the Pacific Coast League out there.
0: You yeah, know. you know, and but they It's not like it is today where everybody understands the basis of baseball. Right, you know. And it's just it's Vin Scully,
1: for sure, helped bring more fans to baseball. He made baseball fans out of people with his broadcast. And also, when they moved... He was the, a steward of the game. Steward of the game, yeah. When they moved to Los Angeles, Vin Scully described like his first week in L.A. He gets groceries, and he's going back to his... I guess him and his family were in an apartment at the time. And there was a gate at the apartment, and he couldn't open the... The gate because his hands were full of groceries. This stranger comes out of nowhere and says, Here, let me open the gate for you. He opens it for Vin, and Vin says, Thank you. And the guy says, You're welcome. And oh, by the way, my name is John Wooden, the longtime legendary UCLA basketball coach. <laughs> I'm like, Vince to got to meet John Wooden this first week in LA. How cool is that, you know?
0: In a casual encounter of a guy that everybody thinks is a hard ass. Yeah. And was a hard ass on the court because he demanded perfection and yeah. his record speaks for it. But
1: um, you could ask Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Walton about
0: that you know it mm-hmm. <laughs> might be part of why Bill Walton such a wackadoo having to play for that guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's a cool fact about Ben also man um, early on the audio engineers in the stadium had trouble for TV and uh, radio yeah because he had such a strong voice that reverberated through the stadium they had trouble getting their audio levels right and you could hear him on the damn TV broadcast even if he wasn't meant to be <laughs> Yeah.
1: And they had to tell them to turn, to turn down the transistor radios because it was just affecting
0: the signal. Too much interference. Yeah. Um, but, in 64, the Yankees offered Scully the job to replace um, Mel Allen as their lead play-by-play announcer, and he declined and chose to stay with the Dodgers. Or fellow and Mel Allen. Mm-hmm. And by and, um, in 76, we're jumping forward a little bit here. Okay. His popularity in L.A. had become so much that he was the most memorable personality in the history of the franchise. Above guys like Jackie Robinson, things like that. Yeah. People like that. Um, but before 1966, local announcers exclusively called the World Series. Typically, uh, Gillette Company. Gillette mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, which is wild that they were in TV. Hey, why not? <laughs> um, the Commissioner of Baseball and NBC Television would choose. Okay. I misread that in my notes. um, The Gillette Company, the Commissioner of Baseball, and NBC TV would choose the announcers. Yeah. I I read that in my notes as if they were a production company. (laughs) Um, They would choose who would represent each of the teams that were in the World Series for the respective year. For 1996, Kurt Gowdy called half of each game before ceding the microphone to Vince Scully in L.A. (laughs) So... One team's announcer would start and the other team's announcer would finish. And I'm sure it was maybe like home field advantage. I'm not sure how they worked that out, but there's yeah. probably some rhythm or rhyme to it. And Kirk Gowdy, another legendary broadcaster who I believe also has a frick award. <laughs> and then Chuck Thompson in Baltimore also caught a little bit of that game. Um, but Ben was not happy with that arrangement. <laughs> He's quoted as saying, What about the road? My fans won't be able to hear me. In game one of the 66 World Series, um, Scully called the first four and a half innings. When Gaudi inherited an ounce the range, Scully was so upset that he refused to say another word. Wow. He just sat there.
1: I can imagine I, you know, if you're Vin Scully, you I'd be surprised if they didn't try to fire him after that. But it's like you're Vin Scully. You if you're mad, you're not saying anything. That's a shocking
0: that he wouldn't say anything. But he was that mad about it. Rightfully so, though, man. Like, and as a fan, I'd be mad. Like, I like the Braves. Um, radio crew, and they're awesome. You yeah. I'd be pissed if in the fifth inning of a tight ball game, I'm on a road trip somewhere, I'm driving in my car, and it flips to the damn Mets announcers in game yeah. one of the division series, you know? like
1: Yeah, yeah it's like, and, if you know, Kirk Gowdy did, like, Boston Red Sox broadcasts
0: as well as national
1: broadcasts. It's like, you know, and the LA people want to hear Ben Scully. You know, it's just, it's just and more than
0: that, as a hometown hometown broadcaster, you know more about the players and their stories. You're able to get more insight. And right. I mean,
1: I mean, I'm sure Kirk Gowdy did his research, but still, it's like you don't know the that you're not that with well. these
0: guys 100 and something days a year. Right. You're not. I like forget that. how many games were on the schedule then. I know it wasn't 162.
1: I think by 1961 they got to 162. Okay. Because of the expansion, they had to go from 154 to 162. But yeah, it's just like I would be, you know, I'd be mad too. You know, I I would side with Ben for that one, because like that's a stupid arrangement, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um,
0: uh, unlike the modern style where we have multiple uh, broadcasters, you know, yeah. having conversations and you got a color guy and a play-by-play guy and all of that. Um,
1: yeah, like Gary Keith and Ron
0: Scully and his partners Jerry and Ross Porter, they they did their ending solo. They just rotate between radio and TV, so. Scully would take a work the entire game except for the third and seventh. They just rotated, so you have a different guy every inning, which that's kind of a cool, unique play on it.
1: Yeah, and also, like, I was watching a broadcast. I was watching the broadcast of the Disco Demolition game of the Chicago White Sox and Tigers. Harry Carey and – Harry Carey was the White Sox announcer then. Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall – We're doing like the TV broadcast for like the first three, four innings. And then they would leave the booth to do the radio broadcast where another person came in for like four, five, and six. And then Harry and Jimmy came back for seven, eight, nine. I'm like, that's strange. That's so strange
0: to me anyway. I guess that was the norm before they kind of dialed it into the process we have now. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if somebody did that, how it would play with the modern fans. Probably get Twitter fired up. Yeah, because I
1: like it better when, you know,
0: the TV broadcasters have their own
1: broadcasters and then the radio has their own broadcasters and it's just that and you hear those guys throughout the game. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just – to me, it was strange seeing that, you know. But, uh, you know, Vince Scully, you know, he gets great calls at the Dodgers. He called Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1965 at Dodger Stadium against the Cubs. And you can find that audio on YouTube, you know. I mean – and he's there. Dodgers are still winning. You know, they won 63-65, uh, and, and they lost in 66 to the Orioles, which was shocking, you know. And he was there for Don Drysdale's scoreless inning streak. Mm-hmm. And he was also there
0: with Earl Hershiser, Don Drysdale, who he later ends up working with. Yeah. In the booth. Yep. Um,
1: the Hall of Famer, you know. And uh, he was also there with Earl Hershizer broke Don Drysdale streak because or or Oral Hershiser also played for the Dodgers you know I mean the the, the guy was there for multiple calls mm-hmm. you know and then 70s they're still doing good and then around like 74 he starts doing – Vince Scully starts doing football games for CBS 74 75 somewhere around there
0: uh, 75 to 82 he did NFL telecast for CBS Sports um Sonny Juggerson, Paul Honing, Alex Hawkins, George Allen, Jim Brown, John Madden, Hank Stram um, were his partners. Can you imagine John John Madden and
1: Vince Scully in the booth together? That's the, I would love to see old footage of that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure it would be on par with Dal Michaels and Madden, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, I put Michaels on that same pedestal. Yeah, or John Madden and Pat Summerall. Because Madden was the greatest play-by-play guy, you know? Just boom, got to hit him around the end, you know, John Madden. Yeah, you know? because yeah.
1: He, he made it exciting. But he knew the game. Yeah, he knew the game, and so there was an arrangement. So here's the thing, and I watched a video. It was like right after Vince Scully died. There's a there's a YouTube channel and I mentioned it on this podcast before called Jaguar Gator Nine, and he does like NFL history. And I think that the day after Vince Scully died, or, or right after Vince Scully died, that he did an episode talking about Vince Scully's broadcasting career in football and initially in 1974 Vince Scully was thinking about retiring from calling baseball games which that's a crazy thought <laughs> because he was only like 47 in 1974 you know he wasn't even 50 yet and he's thinking about like stop doing it to like get a real job or something to help be
0: around with the family but whoever and talked him out of that deserves a Nobel prize that would be Peter
1: O'Malley of the Dodgers and um, so he's like, "Look, give that know, man the Congressional
0: Medal of Honor right now."
1: <laughs> yeah, and he was considering stopping the Dodgers, stop calling Dodgers games, and just concentrate more on the NFL and CBS because of less, um, uh, less time constraint. You know, like it's not he's not super busy. He's not on the road doing this stuff. You know, and Peter O'Malley talked to him He's like, "Look, just do the Dodger games when you can, and then you can concentrate on doing." NFL and CBS, mm-hmm. right? You can do both, so you're not always constantly overworked. You have time for your family. It's all good, you know. And Peter and Vince Scully said, "All right, let's do it." And because because Peter O'Malley and his dad Walter O'Malley knew that Vince Scully was a treasure, and they're like, "We cannot let Vince Scully stop calling baseball games for the Dodgers." There would be because they knew the popularity would go downhill pretty quickly. Down well,
0: it's just shoes to fill, man. It's like whoever comes in at Bama after saving leaves, man, you're just going to get scapegoated and be out of there. I want to be the second guy that comes out, you know? Yeah. Because you can't fill those shoes, right? You
1: know, I mean, it's it's going to be tough, or like you know, yeah. It's just you just can't, nobody wants to do it, and so one member. And then that episode, that same episode, they were talking about how 1980. Vince is calling a Sunday football game in Anaheim for the L.A. Rams and I think the San Francisco 49ers. The the Rams played at Anaheim Stadium back then. And he's calling this game while the Dodgers and the Astros are playing a crucial series for the NL West. He's telling me
0: he's calling both games at the same time somehow.
1: Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) Vince is trying to ignore what's going on with the Dodgers game because he's trying – he's concentrating on the football game. But – The crowd once again has transistor radios at the football game and they're hearing the Dodgers score. And the Dodgers took the lead. This this was the the last this was game one sixty-two in nineteen eighty. Right? And so they tied they the Dodgers hit it, Ron Say hit a home run in the eighth inning. The crowd goes nuts at Anaheim Stadium during the football game. And Vince Scully's like freaking out trying to figure out what's going on in the Dodgers game, because he knows that they're listening to the Dodgers game on the radio down there. And so somehow in 1980 technology, he figures out what's going on, and he's calling both the football game and the baseball game at the same time, giving everybody the broadcast.
0: So, and the Dodgers oh one one down and away, makes it one and one, and that's a three-yard handoff uh, off the right tackle. Like, yeah, I'm imagining something like that.
1: You know, something like that. I wish there was broadcast. Uh, I wish that. He, the the Gator nine couldn't find the actual broadcast of the game, but he got like accounts of newspapers that that's basically what the newspaper said. That's awesome. That is awesome. Only Vince Cully can pull that off, man. I mean,
0: you know. dude, my brain went short circuit trying to.
1: Yeah, i have like, what? Well, like, we got like...
0: a football game on the background. I can barely even look at it because I'm going to screw this up. You know, yeah, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> imagine calling a football game and a baseball game it's and just, talking about it. It's just like it's... we're having a conversation. I can't even focus on that, you know? <laughs> it's crazy, man. I mean,
1: like, Vince Scully could pull that off, man.
0: And, of course, you know. He caught some iconic football moments. Um, like uh, Dwight Clark's touchdown catch in the NFC Championship game on uh, in 1982 that put the Niners in the Super Bowl. Yep. And that was actually the last NFL game he announced. And he's quoted as saying, that was a hell of a game to quit doing football. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He also contributed to CBS's tennis and PGA coverage in the late seventies and eighties, usually working golf with Pat Summerall and Ken Venturi and Ben Wright. And seventy-five to eighty-two is part of the team that covered the Masters over in Augusta. Um, his network commitments also led to working a reduced schedule with the Dodgers, who hired Ross Porter to cover games that he couldn't call. Yeah. Um, Nineteen seventy-seven, he began his first of two stints calling baseball for CBS, broadcasting the All-Star Game. From 77 to 82, usually with Brent Musburger. Jesus. Brent Musburger. That's another one. And the World yeah. Series from 79 to 82 alongside Sparky Anderson. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad Brent Musburger isn't behind the microphone anymore. Yeah. In his old age, he was kind of. Like y'all in the South know he calls the 230. He used to call the 230 CBS game. Yeah. I think he owns a sports book in Vegas now. He's, a, he's an odds maker. I think he does, yeah. Because I hear
1: I hear his radio uh, advertisements about the books all the time. Yeah, he's a
0: he's a sports bookie now. And yeah. I loved I loved his uh, broadcast because I like to responsibly gamble on sports here and there. Yeah. And um, he'd always mention, "Oh, those that bet the over are happy right now." <laughs> <laughs>
1: and of course, make mention of uh, AJ and Karen's girlfriend in the stands.
0: Oh man, he's he's <laughs> just a dirty old man like football.
1: Yeah I mean, And
0: gambling on sports What's wrong with it Nothing uh, be, I don't be, have a problem He could be doing worse things Like polluting the environment Or something know. You know But
1: anyway So And then Vince Scully leaves CBS
0: uh, 1983 right
1: Yeah He leaves CBS To go to NBC To call baseball games Following a dispute Over assignment prominence.
0: You know Which I guess you he know, Wasn't getting the gigs He wanted and He thought he deserved them That's what I'm reading that as Yeah
1: And so I was like Bye <laughs>
0: <laughs> CBS
1: appreciate I mean, sorry, NBC appreciates
0: me, It's <laughs> like Kenny Powers. Yeah. Screw you, Atlanta! Kenny Powers is a free agent.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man,
1: you know, and just and so CBS, so in, in going into, so in, I guess it's one of the causes of the dispute over assignment prominence. Going into the nineteen eighty one NFL season you know, that John Madden uh, was going to be the star color commentator of their NFL television coverage. But they had trouble figuring out who was going to be his play-by-play guy because Scully was in a battle with CBS play-by-play announcer Pat Summerall for the position. At the time, Scully was the number two announcer for CBS in a position he held since 75, which we've discussed, and was calling games alongside former Kansas City Chiefs head coach Hank Stram. Right, and he was. He was the number three guy.
0: Yeah, alongside uh, Gowdy.
1: And so, to resolve the situation, both Vince Scully, both Scully and Summerall were paired with Madden in four-week stretches, which coincided with each of their respective absences due to other engagements. While Summerall was away, calling the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament that year, as he did every September, Scully called the first four weeks of the season alongside Madden. After that, Scully went on to cover the NLCS and the World Series for CBS Radio, and then, as he'd done for October, while Summerall returned to the booth with Matt. And then Scully then teamed up with Strand for the remainder of the NFL season.
0: Talk about a powerhouse broadcasting crew. That's the Atlanta Braves pitching staff of the mid-90s of broadcasting, right there.
1: And so, this, after the eight weeks of the season, after eight weeks of this rotation, CBS decided that Summerall meshed better with Madden than Scully did and needed him to be the announcer who would call the Super Bowl for CBS on January 24, 1982 at the Pontiac Silverdome between the 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals. And angrily Scully, an angry Scully, who felt that his intelligence had been insulted by the move, was assigned to was assigned as a, as a consolation of that year's NFC Championship game, which was the Dwight Clark catch call, you know, Dwight Clark catch game you know, between the 49ers and the Cowboys at
0: Candlestick Park. And that circles back to what I right. quoted earlier. And that, it,
1: yeah, and that was Vince Scully's last game as an NFL broadcaster. He, he never broadcast another NFL game after that, and so. You know, so he was done with that. Now he's going to NBC. And so he did, back in the day, NBC hosted ba- showed baseball games. Now they don't anymore. Now they're showing like Notre Dame football and the Olympics, which I could care less about the Olympics, honestly. I'm sorry. I just don't really care about the Olympics.
0: It doesn't have the prestige that it had when we were children. Right. Or even when like we a, were kids, there was that. And I think the social. I've been talking about this someone on, on the podcast I listened to the other day. Yeah. And I think that it is so that since sports news and all of that, and highlights and replays, even if it's obscure stuff, it is so. Yeah. Like easily accessible these days. It just doesn't have the luster that it had when it was once every four years you get to see this. Yeah. Now it's just in your face all the time, in the palm of your hand. Right, it's
1: hard to top the 1936 Olympics with Jesse Owens winning four gold medals. It's hard to top that.
0: (coughs) Greatest Olympic performance of all time.
1: Yeah, and of course... Alabama's
0: own Jesse Owens, by the way. And you can visit his museum in Oakville, Alabama, which is in Lawrence County.
1: Shout out to the Jesse Owens Museum. I volunteered there. Just north of Coleman, right? Yeah, it's north of Coleman. Yeah, in between Coleman and Florence. But anyway, I would shout out to the Jesse Owens Museum because I used to volunteer there back in the day. Good place, good museum. But anyway, going back to Vince Scully. (laughs) So he goes in. So NBC had their Saturday Game of the Week, which now Fox does. Fox does the Game of the Week on Saturdays. And Vince Scully did that from 1980. You know, he was the lead broadcaster of that game from 1983, 1989. And, of course, he called World Series games for NBC. The 84, you know, between the Tigers and the Padres, and when the Tigers beat the Padres in five games and in, in Detroit, you know, they won at Tiger Stadium, I saw an article right out in the New York Post right after Ben Scully died about this guy talking about the author of the article was talking to Ben Scully right after that, like minutes or hour after the World Series, the, the 15th World, 84 World Series. And the fans in Detroit are rioting because they won the World Series. And Vince Scully is witnessing this, like inside, like out through a window in, inside Tiger Stadium, and he is angry that they are rioting, and he's talking to the guy on the phone, and you could hear the guy said I could hear his anger like it was yesterday. He was so mad, but he wasn't cursing. He was professional in his anger. I've never understood tearing up your own city after you win a championship. Especially Detroit, because Detroit's already torn up. It? Well, at that point in
0: time, Detroit was probably in its prime. Yeah, it was You know, it was actually the than, motor city. Right. It's better than it was now, you know. I was back when it was thriving, and they were pumping out Pontiacs and Buicks and Cadillacs and Chryslers, and if you were a manufacturer, you were there, man. That was yeah. when it was moving and shaking, I bet, man. But I've never understood tearing up your own damn city, I Remember winning a championship. I don't either. Go to the bar with your buddies and get drunk and get a DUI or something. Don't tear up your city. Right. Don't, you know? do, yeah, <laughs> like, don't do that. Don't yeah. do. Don't do either of those. Actually. Or but, ride
1: Or write a policeman. Or uh, ride a policeman's horse or something.
0: Yeah. You know? Like. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> don't tear up
1: your city. And then the '86. Have boys, a shot with your boys, man. Call it good. Exactly. You know, celebrate with your friends and family. You know, don't don't do stupid stuff like tearing up your city or
0: somebody's car. know. It's like um when um. Colorado Avalanche won that first cup. It was, I think, the first or second year they were a team. And it was wrecked downtown Denver. It's like, what
1: are we doing here, man? Yeah, don't do that. We won. Cool. Well, I think now, since they won it this year, they're probably just all smoking pot.
0: Yeah, it's a different uh, environment out there. Yeah, yeah it was just so back
1: like, in the hey, late 90s. Yeah, it was a smoke-a-doobie. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, 86 World Series, he calls that for NBC. And this is the, you know, Mets beat the Red Sox in seven games, and the memorable Game 6 call.
0: Bill Buckner behind the bag. Go back, Ball gets through Buckner. So it goes back to what we said in our introduction, and um, so many iconic moments. Yeah, he was there. Like, but, he was there for everything, it seems
1: like. Unlike Brian Williams from NBC, who said he was there when he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> I know that, that reference is a few years old, but still, it, it, it's in my memory. He was there in Section 307. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! And of course, 1988, when his Dodgers won the World Series against the A's in five games,
0: Game One. That was bu- that was um, Gibson around second series, right? Yep.
1: Kirk Gibson is home off Dennis lead to win the game.
0: On the and it was a bum knee, right?
1: Yeah, bum knee. He comes in as a pinch hitter. Gibson around second. Doing the fist pump as he's rounding the bases, slowly rounding the bases. You know, I mean, he was just there. And he also worked, he also called four All Star games for NBC 83, 85, 87, 89. Of course, nowadays, Fox calls both World Series games and All Star games. You know, Fox is just living the dream with this broadcasting thing,
0: you know. Yeah, they told ESPN, we'll give you Sundays and Thursdays. We got the rest of this. Just step back. Yeah, we're good, you know. Which I'd rather listen to a Fox broadcast than an ESPN one, anyway. But yeah, personal opinion. And you know, he's still obviously he's still calling Dodgers
1: games too when he can, except for like Saturdays, unless the, unless the Dodgers were the Saturday game of the week. Which okay, he's going to stay in L.A. or he's with the team on the road, you know. But you know how lucky you know I would be. I think any of the major league teams would be blessed. To have Vince Scully called one of their games when it wasn't a Dodger game, you know? I mean, even for like the game of the week or the World
0: Series, I would be, you know, I would have been honored to have Vince Scully call that game or any games. As an announcer, I don't think I'd mind it because they um, a play by play guy because you, um, that gives you one day off in the grind of a season. Yeah. Go hit hit a country club you hadn't been to or, you know, like. Yeah. You know? And you know your team's going to be in good hands, your fans are going to be in good hands because you have. The voice, right? He knows
1: his baseball, and of course, I'm sure he's done prep work for it too. Even if he doesn't have to do much prep work, Vince Gillis forgot more about baseball than me and you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> Sixty-seven years, man. But um, and during the broadcast, he teamed up with broadcaster and former MLB player, seems like just lifer in the in baseball, Joe Graciola. Yoki Bear's best friend from you know St. Louis.
0: Very colorful personality. Yeah. Also an ombie bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so he did. So he did. He was teamed with Joe Garagiola for for NBC Telecast. But in 1989, his last, yeah, his 1989, he uh, Scully was paired with Baseball Hall of Famer Tom Seaver because mm-hmm. Garage. Garaciola left NBC following a dispute after the 88 World Series, a contract dispute.
0: And you know, they, uh, had, they had a bunch of games that had iconic moments that they caught together. Um, what, Fred Lynn, the first grand Slam in the All-Star game? In 1983. Yep, in 1984, the Tigers win the series. Um, yep. Yeah. They also called Jack Morris's no-hitter that season against the White Sox in April. Ozzie Smith, home run in the 85- Championship Series, the Mets Miracle Rally in Game 6 of the World Series, which is the Buckner play, right? Yep. And then the 87 All Star game in Oakland, which was deadlocked at 0 0 before Tim Raines broke up the scoreless tie with the triple. That's a name I hadn't thought of in a long time, Tim Raines.
1: Yep. And he got inducted in 2018. hmm. Or 2017. I don't remember. It's one of those years.
0: And they also called the first night game in Wrigley in 88, which is wild. That I- they were the last team last last part with whites, right? And yeah. It's eighty eight. That's absurd the day games until eighty eight. And they still play a ton of day games.
1: But. Yeah, like Friday day games are still regular at Wrigley Field. You could do a Friday if both teams are in town, you could do a day game regularly, a night game at at uh guarantee rate field.
0: Dude, I knew so much about the Cubs and White Sox when we were kids because during the summer the damn Cubs played at noon every day. Yeah. You know, like and even they showed White Sox games with WGN
1: yeah. back in the day. You know, I mean we were blessed to have WGN like Friday in Alabama. After, in Alabama, Friday afternoons watching Cubs games after During school. the summer,
0: Tuesday uh, oh, oh, but, uh, I'll come hang out for this baseball games over, you know. Yeah, you know. I mean,
1: we we WGN is missed. Let's just say that, you know. Now they're on the Marquis Sports, well, well, Cubs are on the marquee Sports Network. But but like White Sox are on Bali or NBC Chicago or I something. I heard something that
0: Bally's about to get bought out by, um, I think, ESPN. I
1: heard that because S-
0: Sinclair, Sinclair Broadcasting Group selling it. Yeah. But anyway. Different story, different day.
1: And he was also in the booth in the 1989-0 game. He was in the booth chatting with four years, President Ronald Reagan, because he just got out of office that year. When Bo Jackson hit a leadoff home run in the 89 World Series. you If you've seen the Bo Jackson documentary, the Thirty for Thirty, Bo knows. You know they talk about when he hit the home run, Reagan saw that and went, "Oh," (laughs) like he's like, "Oh, somebody hit a home run." Yeah,
0: there's another good quote from Reagan in that broadcast. He said, uh, "I've been out of work for six months. Maybe I have a future here because (laughs) you know he's six months out of office."
1: Yeah, and he was a broadcast. Reagan was a broadcaster in the 30s before he became an actor.
0: Ronald Reagan had a um, wild career. Yeah. I know this, we're not about presidents, but that man had a wild career.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, you know, he, he, he lived a fascinating life, for sure.
0: That he, um military service, actor, president, broadcaster, like, that guy, he didn't leave very many boxes unchecked either.
1: He wore he wore many hats. And so here's a, here's so, during that 89 season, here's a good one. On June 3rd, 1989, Scully did the game of the week that, that that day between the Cardinals and the Cubs. Cardinals beat the Cubs in 10 innings. I'm sure Patrick's happy about that.
0: The, time the Cardinals beat the Cubs is a good day.
1: Yeah. And so, at that same day, the Dodgers were in Houston playing the Astros. And so... After the Cardinals and Cubs game was done, which I guess the NBC game of the week is a day game, Scully flew to Houston. Well, he flew he flew to Houston to be on time for the Sunday. Oh, sorry. He, he, you know, he, he, was, he flew to, to be on hand to call the game for Sunday the next day, which is standard. However, the Saturday night game between the teams was going to extra innings when Scully arrived in town. So he just went straight to the Astrodome instead of his hotel, and he picked up the play-by-play, helping to relieve the other Dodgers announcers who were doing television, radio, and broadcasting the final 13 innings. Because that game, the Dodgers-Astros game in nine, went 22 innings. He broadcasted the final 13 innings of the Dodgers-Astros game, while broadcasting uh, broadcasting 10 innings of the... Cubs-Cardinals game that day, that man broadcasted 23 innings in one day in two different cities. <laughs> that man is de- was dedicated to baseball and his craft. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I-, I can't imagine that.
0: That's like what see, some of these NASCAR drivers do. They'll run the Indy 500 and then they'll come to run the Coke 600 and they're doing 1,100 miles in a day in two different race cars, in two different series in two different series. Like That's like like it's exactly, that's all that I can compare that to.
1: I yeah, I mean that's just insane. Man,
0: I know y'all they're just driving in circles. There's a lot more
1: to it than that. I mean, those guys of... are in shape. Yeah, they got to be in shape to go around all. Well, those... they're
0: sitting in a car that's hot as hell. You know, it's not it's not like your car with air conditioning. Right. They're,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hot. They're in suits and they're wearing helmets. I mean, it's just you're gonna be hot.
0: Dude, I've played in a sixteen-in baseball game before. About about in the number twelve or thirteen, you're just like. Your body is like, dude. You feel that weight, you know. Like, and I was playing outfield in that game, and you just your legs are heavy, and it's jello. And it's like that's been st- just standing that long, you know.
1: Yeah, it's just it's you know you people don't people don't realize how how strenuous that it can be on your body playing multi, like over nine innings, you know. But um, and this sucks. So <laughs> laryngitis, he got. Scully got laryngitis before Game Two of the '89 NLCS between the Giants and Cubs. He couldn't call Game Two, so they had to get Bob Costas to fill in. Well, at the time, Bob Costas was doing the ALCS between Oakland and Toronto, and so they flew Bob Costas in, after, you know, to fill in that evening because it was during an off day. Because that time was during off-day for, off for the ALCS. And then, after the 89th season, the NBC lost the television rights to cover MLB to CBS. And for the first time since 1946, NBC would not televise baseball. And Scully said, after that, Scully said of, of NBC losing baseball, it is a passing of a great American tradition. It is sad. I really and truly feel that. It will leave a vast window to use a Washington word where people will not get Major League Baseball, and I think that's a tragedy. And he also called the PGA Tour during NBC, for NBC, working with Lee Trevino, who was a famous golfer. And you know, after that, you know, obviously he's still calling Dodgers games. I mean,. He's not leaving the Dodgers. He's still doing all this, as well as Dodgers games, and raising a family, and maybe having other hobbies too. You know, I'm like the man. <laughs> the man was a busy guy. You know, I mean, and so you know, he he left obviously when the when the NBC lost the broadcasting rights. He he said, "I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore." But he, he returned. But after that, he still did the national radio. He was still the national radio announcer for the World Series because um, CBS gave him that position after Jack Buck, the legendary Cardinals announcer, who also has a Frick
0: Award, who also has a son that will end up with a Frick Award.
1: Joe Buck. I mean, Joe Buck's also in the uh, Joe Buck got elected to the NFL Hall of Fame recently as a broadcaster. So he's probably gonna get in. He'll get in the Baseball Hall of Fame also. A bit, yeah, eventually. Yeah. Are there any other broadcasters around both that you can think of? I want to say on Michaels. Because Al uh, Michaels got inducted last year, or maybe this year. He got the Frick warrior last year this year. Uh, and I'm sh- He's got to be in the He's going to have to be. He didn't want to have football for too long. Right. Uh, there's probably others. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Maybe Kirk Gowdy, because he also called NFL games.
0: That'll be something uh, we'll have to... Here in about a month and a half, when we tell you all about this, don't forget we we're going to look this up. But yeah, we're doing three episodes, two or three episodes today. So,
1: yeah, and so you know, and he remained as the Scully remained as the host of the CBS National Radio Dancer for the World Series for CBS from nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety seven. He worked with Johnny Bench, Hall of Famer, and then for the first four years, they worked with Jeff Torborg final three years.
0: Both of them were catchers. Jeff Torborg, I hadn't thought about that guy in forever either.
1: Yeah, he managed the Marlins and then he got fired midway through the season to get replaced to,
0: by Jack McKeon in 2003. Jack yeah, McKeon he was over. a longtime Dodger also. Yeah. You know. Which is probably the connection here, obviously. I'd say he be, I would say he's he a managed one, two, three, four, five, he managed five teams from 77 to 03. Yeah. With a, uh, a few years off in between, but he uh, managed the Indians from 77 to 79 and then took 10 years off and came back with the Sox, the white Sox. Yeah. And then 90, 92, 93, and then he did one year with the Expos.
1: Yeah. In 01. And then the Marlins. I think he was just a better player than he was a manager. I mean, I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but. I think he it probably,
0: happens that way sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, or some people are better managers than there are. Players like Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver stayed in the minor leagues his whole career as a player, and then when he got in the major leagues, the manager he was just successful. He just won. He helped the Orioles be great. Yeah. But anyway, back to Scully. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, personally, Mike Mpani is one of those better
0: catcher than a manager.
1: So. Yeah, you yeah. know. But uh, but this is it's all baseball related, so it's okay to get off the subject as long as it's baseball related.
0: You know? I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like. And, you know, if you have any complaints about it, you can always email us at baseballhis101 at gmail.com. I
0: probably need to check those emails. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, maybe we got some. Maybe somebody, who knows, maybe somebody's got a suggestion that we can do it next month, you know? Anyway, so after 97, ESPN Radio acquired their World Series Radio rights. And ESPN offered Scully to continue to do that, but he declined. He's like, I'm going back doing Dodgers games. So his last World Series game was Game Seven of the '97 World Series between the Marlins and the Indians, which the Marlins won. You know, and that team was stacked, and that didn't last long for them after that. And he called something called he for '91 '96. He broadcasted a golf game called the Skins Game for ABC. He also called it for NBC, but he's calling it again for ABC. And called it the Senior Skins Game from 1992 to
0: 2000. For those of you that aren't familiar with golf, a Skins Game is you have X amount of money wagered per hole. Like, if we're high rollers, I'm going to bet – me and Matthew are playing golf and we're playing Skins. I'm going to bet him $10,000 $10, a hole. Wow. If we're high rollers, you know. Or I can bet you $2 a hole, you know, because yeah. I'm a low roller. But – it's every hole you have a wager on each hole, and at the end, whoever, uh, you know, it cancels out. Kind of like cornhole where your bags cancel out, something like that, you know. It, okay. That's okay. what scans is. It's playing X amount of dollars per hole. Whoever wins the most holes wins however many holes they won by. I learned something
1: new today. There you go. And he, in 1999, he was also the voice. He was the master of ceremonies for
0: MasterCard's Major League Baseball all Century team. That was the Fenway All-Star game, right?
1: Yes, that was a Fenway All Star Game, and they also did a ceremony in Atlanta during the World Series, where they made the announcement, and then Pete Rose had that very tense uh, interview with Jim Gray from NBC. Yeah, but they also made a book about it. I have it at
0: home of Major League Baseball's All Century Team. And it's really interesting book. It's like a coffee table book. It's pretty good. Remember that All Star Game they did the All Century Team, and then they brought out um, Ted Williams in the golf cart.
1: Yes, that was. Great moment, and all the players crowd around. It's watching. an iconic
0: baseball moment. Yeah, especially like for my generation. It was you know I was nine years old, you know, but
1: yeah, but that's Ted Williams. I mean, you, you
0: know, that guy made
1: history, Hall of Famer, great, you know, great player. And so, you know, for health reasons, so you know, he's getting up there in age. In the two thousands, he's getting close to eighty. For health reasons, ben Scully no longer called most non-playoff Dodger games east of the Denver, beginning around 2005. Makes sense, you know. I'm not going to travel that far. You're
0: all right, I'm not flying to your interleague series in New York. I'm sorry. No.
1: Or I'm not going to. We're not. We're not going to do this. We're just. I'm going to
0: stay. Denver and West. You know. And I know it says most. So I'm sure there were certain series where he's like, you know what, I kind of want to go there. Yeah. Like, I'd like to go see Fenway again, you know? I mean, yeah,
1: that would be understandable.
0: I want to go see the new Yankee Stadium.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I've been to the old one too many times. Screw it. Let's check out
1: the new Yankee Stadium, yeah.
0: So, and
1: then he missed most of the Dodgers' opening homestand of the 2012 season because of an illness. They returned to the announcer's booth on April 15, 2012, which was Jackie Robinson Day, the 65th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And it was only the second time that Scully had missed a Dodger Stadium home opener in his career. The first time was in 1977 when he was broadcasting the Masters golf tournament for CBS, which you know contractual obligations. And of course, his last year was 2016, and that was memorable. There, among the many calls that year, he he got, he went on a rant about Venezuela. And the Dodgers were playing like the Rockies at Dodger Stadium. I think it was the Rockies. And I can't remember the player's name off the top of my head. The video's on YouTube. It's on Deadspin. There's an article about it. This player for the Rockies was batting, and he was from Venezuela. And Vince Colley talks about it. And he goes on a rant about socialism in Venezuela. And I was like, wow, that's that's interesting. Didn't expect didn't that.
0: Scully finally hit that old man, uh, don't give a damn. Yeah, like, one of the... After being so professional for so long, he had that old man, don't give a damn moment.
1: Right, it was his last year, you know, why not? And somebody commented, somebody commented on Twitter, you know, under that video, man, Ben Scully's just not giving a fuck his last year. (laughs) He's going to let it all out, you know? And I was just like, it was shocking to hear him say that, but at the same time, I was like, I wasn't offended by it. I was like, all right. At the right.
0: same time, what he was saying was probably informed and correct. Right. You know, you know I'm like... You know, he's there's probably, definitely a communist regime there. Yeah. Right. I'm like, he's, he's not wrong, you know.
1: <laughs> but uh, 2016
0: was his last year. And, and he, he saw from Andomania, he So he's a Venezuelan expert at that one.
1: Yeah. You no, know. no, well,
0: <laughs> That's Fernando, not how that works. Well, <laughs>
1: Fernando was... Well, Fernando, he's from
0: Mexico, remember? Oh, you're right. Somebody's on the thing is... You're absolutely right. Valenzuela, Venezuela. Yes, that's... uh you know, that, that's... You're going to... I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. I'm leaving this in to let y'all you know how dumb I am.
1: <laughs> but 2016, and by then, he's doing stuff. And, like, there's articles on Deadspin about him talking about various things. Now, this was in, like, 20... Maybe it was... It was, like, 2014. Clayton Kershaw throws that no-hitter. And he goes on the... He goes on the air. He's like, you know, guys, I've always said that you can call your friends when something is great happening. But now you can text your friends... Or hashtag Kershaw or something. He just kind of chuckled at that, and people were just like, "Did Vince going to say hashtag on the air?"
0: <laughs> hey, he's changing with the times, man.
1: You know. And then another time, maybe it was like 2012. He's talking about hashtags again, about like because the Dodgers wanted him to do an ad on on the TV. It's like hash you know, tweet hashtag blah 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 or whatever, like to vote for something. You know,
0: uh somebody our generation, they would just put the hashtag there and yeah. say tweet that. You know, for them they actually had to spell it out in big bulk letters. Yeah. Tweet hashtag, emphasis on the hashtag. You know, yeah. and, <laughs> and
1: Vince Gully just thought this was the wildest thing, you know, the hashtags what and the whole <laughs> hashtag. And the the Dead <laughs> Spin the Dead the article on this was like, Look, Vince Gully doesn't need this shit. You don't need to have him trying out there saying hashtag You know, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) You know, stop the madness. But anyway,
0: 2016 was his last year, you know, and they do. Yeah, and at that point, he was only doing 100 games a year. Home games. Obviously. San Francisco, San Diego, Anaheim. Yeah. If I can drive there, I'm in. (laughs) I ain't flying, pretty much, you know.
1: And he announced it at
0: the, he announced it in January of 2016. This was his last season. He's like, I'm done. That'd be at the winter meetings, probably. Yeah. Around that time period.
1: Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm done. I'm saying goodbye. But I'm not going on, like, a, you know, I'm not really going on a postseason goodbye tour, you know. I'm saying He's, he's not going to all thirty ballparks to say goodbye. He's not doing that. He's either doing – he's doing L.A. And he's doing, like, Anaheim, San Diego, Los Angeles, or San Francisco.
0: Yeah, and that last year they simulcast his um, – he was doing TV only, but they would simulcast his first three innings on the radio and then Charlie Steiner – would Take over play by play on radio um, with well, Rick Monday. Yeah. It's another big name as the color commentator. And um, it's called one calling the game. Either Joe Davis or Steiner would call the entire game on TV with Hershizer and Nomar Garshapara. But not. Big nose Nomar on the yeah. but,
1: color. But not former Huntsville mayor Joe Davis. Different Joe Davis. <laughs> <from> Joe Davis.
0: <laughs> Pretty sure Argo Joe Davis is. Uh,
1: He's passed on. He's dead.
0: Yeah. Very, yeah. very, very long ago.
1: But if any of our hustle people got confused with that, we had to. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, man.
0: <laughs> but Yeah, he um,
1: they have the ceremony. He's got a big
0: old, big old ceremony about. and speeches from Manfred, Koufax, Kershaw, Mayor Eric Garcetti of L.A. Um, The, Spanish the play team played Spanish fly play, man? man, which if you haven't ever watched Spanish fly like play, just check it out. It's a little it's all yeah it's, it's probably maybe more electric than
1: the english one it's
0: like it's like soccer play, by play. You know, but it's you know it's, we'll it's, it's high it's yeah. high yeah it's like no, no 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 like berman's back 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 with yeah. more hype you know
2: <laughs> it's yeah.
0: electric i love seeing those clips when somebody does something big yeah um kevin costner, kevin costner which noted baseball guy he almost deserves an episode for all the baseball movies he's done yeah he's done a bunch um the team also unveiled that Kirk Gibson's home run had been named the most memorable Ben Scully call in the fan vote. I can see that. His final home game was in September 25, 2016 against the Rockies. They won on a 10th inning walk-off by Charlie Culberson and clinched the NL West division title. The final broadcast of his career was the Dodgers' October 2nd game at AT AT&T Park against the San Francisco Giants. Um, his commentator and the game was time to cast in its entirety on radio instead of only the first three innings. After the game, he offered a prayer and a final message.
3: Many years ago, a little redheaded boy was walking home from school, passing a Chinese laundry, and stopped to see the score of a World Series game posted in the window. The Yankees beat the Giants eighteen to four on October the second, nineteen thirty-six. Well, the boy's reaction was pity for the Giants, and he became a rabid Giants fan from that day forward until the joyous moment when he was hired to broadcast Brooklyn Dodger games in 1950. Ironically, October the 2nd, 2016, will mark my final broadcast of a Giants-Dodger game, and it will be exactly 80 years to the day since that little boy fell in love with baseball. God has been very generous to that little boy, allowing him to fulfill a dream of becoming a broadcaster and to live it for 67 years. Since 1958, you and I have really grown up together through the good times and the bad. The transistor radio is what bound us together. By the way, were you at the Coliseum when we sang happy birthday to an umpire? Were you among the crowd that groaned at one of my puns? Or did you kindly laugh at one of my little jokes? Did I put you to sleep with a transistor radio tucked under your pillow? You know, you were simply always there for me. I've always felt that I needed you more than you needed me, and that holds true to this very day. I've been privileged to share in your passion and love for this great game. My family means everything to me and I'll now be able to share life's experiences with them. My wife, Sandy, our children, Kevin, Todd, Aaron, Kelly and Catherine, along with our entire family will join me in sharing God's blessings of that precious gift of time. You folks have truly been the wind beneath my wings. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me on this incredible journey of 67 years of broadcasting Dodger baseball. You know, friends, so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67-year career in baseball, and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family. And now all I can do is tell you what I wish for you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring oh, rest assured once again it will be time for dodger baseball so this is vin scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may
1: be and so he is done with broadcasting yeah and the dodgers made it to the world series the next year in 2017 and Dodgers fans wanted to, they were trying to petition Scully to come out of retirement. But Scully's like, no. He's like, I've done it. I want to just live my life. I'm good, you know. But he did throw the first pitch in game two. Well, I take it back. He took part in the first pitch of game two of the 2017 World Series with Steve Yeager and Fernando Valenzuela. You know. They were part of that, and also in 2020, he auctioned off a lot of his personal sports memorabilia to, in part, to donate to neuromuscular research.
0: Yeah, I bet he had a sweet collection.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: after think of the names he commentated.
1: 67 years of baseball surely hit something.
0: He probably had bats signed by no telling who, man. Yeah, you know. Oh
1: no! Oh, not only that, um, Scully also called. We forgot to he called Hank Aaron 715th home run because yeah, the Braves were playing the Dodgers that
0: night. So many moments you can't keep up
1: with them. Right. You know, I, <laughs> out of all that, I forgot about that till now. But and then, yeah. no, when
0: they won the World Series in 2020, it was announced that he was going to narrate the championship documentary, which that's cool. Yeah. I'll come out and do some special projects, you know. And they I, gave I still him still got the golden voice. And they gave him a ring, you know. Well, that man deserves a ring if they ever win it again, still, just because he's been a scully Yeah. Posthumously, here's a ring. Yeah. So he received the Frick Award in 82. We've already talked about that. He's got a lifetime Emmy. He was inducted in the National Radio Hall of Fame in 95, the National Sports Media Association. Named him the Sportscaster of the Year four times, 65, 78, 82, 2016. And he was the 33-time California Sportscaster of the Year. (laughs) And he got in their Hall of Fame in 91. 92 Hall of Fame into the American Sportscasters Association, which named him Sportscaster of the Century in 2000. And the top sportscaster of all time on his top 50 list in 2009. The California Sports Hall of Fame inducted him in 2008. He was also inducted into the NAB Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2009. On May 11, 2009, he was awarded the Ambassador Award of Excellence by the LA Sports Entertainment Convi- uh, Commission. On MLB Network Series Prime 9, about the nine greatest baseball broadcasters of all time. That's ray Landon, number one. one. He has the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 6675 Hollywood Boulevard. Um, Since 2001, the press box at Dodger Stadium has been named for Ben Scully, and a street within the team's former Dodger Town spring training facility in Vero Beach, Florida, is Ben Scully Way. WFUV, the Fordham University radio station that he helped found, presents an annual Ben Scully Lifetime Achievement Award for Sports Broadcasting. He was the inaugural recipient in 2008. He was the Grand Marshal of the 2014 Tournament of Roses Parade. Also, he participated aboard the Los Angeles Dodgers' 50th anniversary flight in the 2008 Roses Parade. On September 5th, 2014, Bud Selig presented him with the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award, the 14th recipient. So that's not an every year award. That's We pick and choose who gets that one. Yeah. Uh, second non-player to receive the award, besides Rachel Robinson, which is uh, Jackie Robinson's um, in 2016, on his final year, the L.A. City Council voted unanimously to rename Elysian Park Avenue, which changed the address of Dodger Stadium to 1000 Ben Scully Avenue. July 8th was dubbed Ben Scully Day by the acting governor of California, Kevin de León. During the pregame ceremony on September 23rd, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti presented Ben with the key to the city. On November 22nd, Scully received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor given by the President of the United States. In 2017, his uh, commentary for the final Brooklyn Dodgers-New York Giants game in 1957 was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or artistically significant. He also won the Icon Award as a part of that year's ESPYs in 2017. And at Game 2 of the 2017 World Series being played at Dodger Stadium, he participated in a pregame ceremony addressing the crowd of the PA system. He implied that he was about to throw the ceremonial first pitch and introduced Steve Geiger to serve as a ceremonial catcher. However, Scully then claimed that he could not actually pitch because he had hurt his rotator cuff, resulting in him in introducing actual ceremonial first pitcher, Fernando Valenzuela.
1: <laughs>
0: and he also said, It's time for Dodger baseball. Yep. Yeah. So, what a career!
1: What a career, man! And of course, he passed away last month, August second.
0: Yeah, at his home, at the age of ninety four. Ninety four years, man. Sixty seven as a broadcaster. Yeah, I think he checked a lot of boxes. punched a bunch of tickets, man. A lot more than I, you know. I'd be happy to so, have have that have that great of a ride, you know.
1: Yeah, and now everybody under the sun you know, on social media, has had something to say about Ben Scully's passing. Some long, long remembrances and memories, some short. But I feel that, personally, I liked my favorite of the all the posts about Ben Scully is what what former Baseball Hall of Fame president Tim Mead said about him. The day after Ben's death, he posted a picture on Instagram of him and Ben Scully shaking hands. And the caption says... We watched him, we listened to him, we learned from him, we were better because of him, and now we shall miss him. And I felt that was that was. That's great. about the
0: best way to sum it up.
1: Yeah, I would say so. So,
0: I don't, I don't but, have
1: much more to add, man.
0: That, that's um, all I got
1: to say about Ben. We we covered.
0: We went over an hour. We're good. <laughs> sport, baseball sports in general lost a phenomenal broadcaster when he retired in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and lost an even better man last month when he passed away. And I think we can leave that there. Yeah. All right. Until next time, I'm Patrick DeVault.
1: And I'm Matthew Carter.
0: Thank you for listening to Baseball History 101. Thank you.
3: Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be.
4: When we heard those soothing 14 words, we knew for the next three hours or so we were going to be taken on a journey, a shared experience for all of us, by a master storyteller, poet, and an artist. We pulled up a chair and then our friend, our uncle, our favorite teacher would take us away from our everyday issues and cares, whatever they may be, to be entertained and informed. Vin Scully, Fordham University class of 1949, was recruited by Red Barber to provide live updates CBS Radio Sports by telephone of the Boston University Maryland College football game live from the roof of Frigid Fenway Park. Vin passed the audition with flying colors. Fresh out of college, just four months later, Scully was hired by the Dodgers for whom he worked for the next 67 years. In 1953, when Barber left Brooklyn for the Yankees, Vin became the voice of the Dodgers at the age of 25. Five years later, when the Dodgers left Brooklyn for Los Angeles, Walter O'Malley brought Vin and his partner Jerry Doggett to Los Angeles with him. Together, they introduced Major League Baseball to Southern California by way of the new and ever-present Transistor Radio. With the emergence of the Dodgers and the undeniable skill of Scully, Vin was calling some of the biggest moments in baseball with his artistry, vocabulary, intellect, and timing, a soundtrack of the game's history.
3: What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking
1: a record of an
3: all-time baseball idol, it looks like he's going to burn a flag, and Rick Monday runs and takes it away from him. And so Monday, I think a guy was going to set fire to the American flag. Can you
4: imagine that?
3: Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed. The perfect game. Vince Scully. Well, there's a lot of talk these days about greatest of all time. Goat used to be a bad thing. Now it's the greatest of all time. Well, that's the end of this discussion. Vince Gully is the greatest of all time, period. No discussion,
4: it's him. Vin called 25 World Series, 12 All-Star games, 18 no-hitters, three perfect games, and ultimately the most perfect call of one of the most dramatic moments in World Series history, and the most dramatic moment in Dodger history. Look
3: to coming up. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate.
4: Vin was most comfortable in the booth and never really comfortable in the spotlight. But the Irish tenor took on the role as an ambassador for the game.
3: For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball
4: game. I oh, agree. The city of Los Angeles. the fans whom he loved just as much as they loved him. One of the great
3: rewards in my life is the privilege of broadcasting Los Angeles Dodger baseball to the nicest fans in the world.
4: Finn was so utterly unique and so universally popular that his going away tour in 2016 came to him and so cosmically powerful the Dodgers would clinch the western division title on one mighty swing by until then a little known utility player named Charlie Culberson who was etched into Dodger lore on Vin's final home game. If ever there was a time for Dodger baseball this was it. Swung on a high fly ball to deep left field the
3: Dodger bench Would you believe a home run? And the Dodgers have clinched the division and will celebrate on schedule. Vin,
2: we love you, and this is for you, my friend.
4: On September the 24th, 2016, 50,000 fans paid tribute to Vin, and Kevin Costner spoke for all of them.
2: Allow me to say one more time for the record, for all of us, all of us here today and for those watching, that we will miss you, my friend. We will miss you in our radio, in our cars, in our backyard. You've been a gift to Los Angeles and to baseball itself. It seems forever that you've been guiding us through your personal window into the game. How lucky we were that day in Brooklyn when the microphone passed into your hands. You were the chosen one, the skinny redhead who stood on the shoulders of the biggest kid, ready to look through the knothole in the fence and describe for the rest of us what was going on. You were better than a golden ticket. You invited us all to pull up a chair, spend the afternoon, and then proceeded to walk us into the next century.
4: A week later, Vin would say goodbye.
3: May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial, for every problem life seems a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon, wherever you may be.